Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 127 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, I chat with Elise, the brains and the beauty behind my new favorite sober Instagram account and yours, the Sober Curator. On this week's episode, Elise walks us through her heroic recovery journey, what it was like being a single mother struggling through addiction, to how she created the Sober Curator. This is such an epic story, and Elise's openness and honest vulnerability, it's just such a raw story. You feel like you're right next to her. It is so fantastic, and I'm so grateful to share this space with Elise. Let's get into it. How am I going to have fun? How am I going to socialize? How am I going to meet people? How am I going to relax? If I stop drinking, my life is over as I know it. Well, I'm here to tell you that all those things are bullshit. Don't believe me? Download my free guide, The 7 Must-Have Secrets to a Successful Booze-Free Life. Head to asobergirlsguide.com and download it now. Elise, I am so excited to talk to you. I know. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you, Jessica. (laughs) Um, I know, like, I want to get into the Sober Curator stuff. I want to talk about you and your stories and what you got going on. And we were just kind of diving into a conversation about, um, you know, you finding interns for helping out for the Sober Curator, which, like, I don't know how you do it, dude. You're, like, just churning out content left, right, and center. Uh, but tell, continue the story about the recovery high school that you were looking for interns at. Yeah, I will. So oh. I, there is a recovery high school here in Seattle, which is super cool. What that is something that? Like that exists. Um, it's for kids. It's still part of the public school system, mm-hmm. uh, but it's like a sep- separate chapter. And it's for kids mm. that have been struggling with addiction and mental illness issues. Um, and so that they can, they can um, work with other students that are in kind of similar situations that also have a desire to get clean, get sober, um, and, and do their high school experience around that. Cool. So, um, I thought it would be really cool if maybe a couple of them wanted to be interns because I, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes to running a website and producing content. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I used to run a magazine, but I never used to do all the other pieces of it. So right. it's like, oh, there's all this other work that happens. Oh, my goodness. That's what these people did all these years. Yeah. Um, and so I reached out to the recovery high school because I've had some friends that have volunteered there and they were super excited. They wanted me to come and talk to the class. And I was so excited. I was kind of nervous because, you know, it's like, ooh, high schoolers, they're like hard to impress, right? Hard to impress. <sighs> yeah. I know because I used to have one. My son is 24 now, but um, 
obviously I had him when I was 12. Um, yeah, clearly. So, <laughs> like I was going to say, like, what? Um, yeah, that joke doesn't always land too, by the way. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I set it up and it was for a Tuesday afternoon. And it was like, it was for their time where they have this hour that they all, you know, call into Zoom and they can, it's just a kind of a hangout hour. But okay. they knew that I was going to be there. And at this point, we're like, we were probably like, I don't know, not quite a year into the pandemic, but these kids were tired of Zoom, right? They are not into the Zoom thing anymore. And so I start off by trying to explain like sober pop culture and it's just blank stares, right? Like nothing. And they're just like, what's pop culture? Like they just are like, who are you? You know? So then it's like, we're in Seattle, right? So I'm like, okay, like Macklemore and his music, that would be considered pop culture. Um, And they're still just like nothing, right? And so this one girl, um, they're all in various you know, states, but this one girl um, had her laptop on her bed and um, she was getting ready to take a trip and her dog was jumping up and off. And I think we got started talking about this because I was like, my dogs are for sure going to be annoying in this interview. And um, all of a sudden I look up, like, I don't know, I look somewhere else and I look up and the dog's butthole is like right in the camera, like right in the camera. And nobody's saying anything. And I'm just like, (laughs) I mean, I have two little buttholes running around my house, but like, I don't want to look at one on a screen, you know? So finally I was just like, Hey, can you, um, can you move your dog's butthole? Like, it's just not working for me. And that finally made the group laugh. Like that was my, that was my end. Like, okay. If she can talk about buttholes, maybe she can hang with us. Yeah. She can hang. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. Good time. Yeah, teenagers are scary, man. It's- but I mean, I cannot even imagine trying to get sober at that age. No. And trust me, I already needed to at that point. Like I started yeah. drinking out, you know, alcoholically, blacking out like right from the get-go. So, I think it's incredible that those kinds of services exist now. Um because the yeah. need is obviously there. Um uh, but I I just can't even imagine what that's like you know yeah like I couldn't wrap my head I don't think I mean looking back at my high school year I chalked it up as like oh this is what everyone does but no right not everyone blacks out and like falls asleep on someone's front lawn and wakes up to the sprinklers uh, right weird. you've done that too okay yeah, I don't yeah, feel yeah. So alone yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was really yeah. fun really cool really cool, cool yeah I have a prom picture where I'm literally being held up like oh. in the photo yes and it's just like how the teachers just look the other way. Right. Like, like how did that, e- how did that even happen? I even, I think they even chalked it up to like, Oh, just oh it's high just, school kids. Right. High school kids. Right. I even got pulled over once. I used to drive this little um, like candy apple red um, Azuzu pickup. And, and I lived in a small town. See, there go the dogs. I live in a small town, you know, we've got a couple stoplights, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I got pulled over and like, one of the bottles of like, I think we're drinking Zima or Boone's farm. I don't remember fell over and it was like rolling around the truck. So the truck stunk, like yeah. it stunk so bad. And the police officer comes up and it turns out he's my neighbor. Cause like we lived on this one block where like three different police officers lived. Yeah. And he was like, Elise, have you been drinking? And I'm like, no, you know? And it's like, yes, I clearly have been like, I'm smashed. And he was like, okay, I'm going to follow you home. So like I drove, <laughs> I drove and they followed me home. Like what? That would never, never. happen now. That would no. never happen now. No. So yeah, man, times have changed. It's like, was it really helping you or was it just prolonging the, the inevitable? Like, was it just fueling the fire, you know, yeah. getting, getting away with these little things that seemed little at a time, but like, yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you, you said you started, you started early, you started your drinking career early. What did that look like? Can you kind of like bring us back? I know you just celebrated 15 years. I did. That's freaking huge. That's like three fists without a fifth. That's a long time. (laughs) Um, I, and a 90 year old gave me that math, by the way, I'm not that creative, but, um, I started drinking at 16. I grew up in a Christian home. Both my grandfathers were pastors. Mm -hmm. So like both sides of the family, pretty perfect, right? Pretty like middle-class 
Christian families. Um, all the kids went to Christian schools. You know, we were at church on Sundays. We were at church on Wednesdays. And then because the school was in the church, we were at church all the other days. Right. Um, my mom was one of my teachers. So like, I not only was I at school during school, I was at school after school because she'd be working. And so um, then uh, after junior high is when I moved into public high school. And the first year I still remained like, you know, good little church girl that I was. Yeah. Um, but um, man, I just wanted to be one of the cool kids. Right. And uh, so my sophomore year is when I started like hanging out with the cool kids, like mm -hmm. finding ways for them to accept me. And by my junior year, it was like on like Donkey Kong. Like mm -hmm. I was, I had, I was doing anything I could get my hands on. Um, and so, but I just, I didn't drink like everybody else did right from the get-go. Like I just knew I didn't, I could tell that I didn't. Um, and, and I can remember sneaking out my bedroom window and then not having like any idea who shoved me back through. Cause I would have never been able to pull myself up and get back in the window myself. I would have had to have help Yeah, like a and, um, and waking up and like no idea how I got back there and just being like, what happened? You know? Wow. So and I, you know, but I still bordered this, like being responsible. Like I would sneak out and steal my parents' minivan and drive it across town and pick up a friend who had a driver's license because I didn't have a driver's license. And then we would let her drive. Of course. You know, so I like still thought I was like somehow somewhat playing by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. Why do you think, you know, you, you, you said you, you knew that you, you drank differently. Why do you think you drank differently? I think I have had that obsessive compulsive thing has always been there. Mm -hmm. And that, that um, the lying and sneakiness just always is, has been inherently there. I can remember, I mean, having issues with food as a little kid, like, you know, sweets and stuff and like going down to the local, um, gas station and like stealing a bunch of quarters out of my dad's jar and like buying as much candy as I could buy and then hiding the wrappers. Mm. Um, so I just, um, and I always remember feeling like an outsider, even though I was the pop, I was a popular kid. Yeah. Um, but I just always felt like I never fit in. I was never accepted. I was never enough. There was always that. I'm just not enough. Yeah. And there are the dogs. And there go the dogs. There are the bitches, these girls, I tell you. <laughs> so after high school, what 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 happened? How did your um drinking progress? Well, I I had a a, a traumatic experience happen in high school mm. um, of sexual abuse. Um, mm. that did involve drugs and alcohol um and guns. And oh, um wow. It was, uh, it was pretty traumatic and I didn't tell anybody about it. Um, just me and one other girl knew that it happened because it happened to her too. And, um, oh. and I, I do know that like my senior year, it like came out in like an essay I had written for um, advanced English and the teacher actually called my parents in and um which was amazing at that time that somebody would do that. Right. And, um, but then I denied it. I was like, I made the whole thing up. It didn't actually happen. It was my imagination. I was just being creative. Um, wow. and I'm, I can be very convincing when I want to be, you know, I'm a, I'm a salesperson. <laughs> That's what I do for a living. And so, um, when I want to be convincing, I can be very convincing. And so, mm -hmm. um, after that, I decided to go to Seattle Pacific University, which is where my dad went. Um, and that is located on Queen Anne in Seattle. And, um, you know, it doesn't take you long to find the party girls, right? We, oh, we yeah. find each other real fast. Yes. And um, that first weekend, like I found my tribe and, um, and I was just kind of off to the races because it was the first time I didn't have any structure of like, somebody to like check and make sure I was home at a certain time, even though it was still a private Christian school. Um, and then, um, you know, just lots of partying there. And then there was another really unfortunate incident that happened um, where I got too drunk to take care of myself. And this other person decided he wanted to help take care of me in a way that was not appropriate. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that one was really, really traumatizing to me. I don't know why that one was more than the first one. Um, maybe because I was in denial the first time it happened. Um, yeah. But that one, like, I stopped going to classes. I couldn't go to the cafeteria. Like, I just couldn't function. And then I, and then I felt guilty that my parents were spending all this money for me to be in this private university. And I was not do I was not showing up to anything. Right. So um, I went home, I took a friend and I went home and, and told them what had happened and told them that I needed to drop out. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, my dad was so mad, like so mad for years when the school would call him as an alumni for donations, he would just let whoever have it. And it's like, okay, it's not their fault, but right. Um, right. the school was not supportive. Um, this person was like one of the star players on the basketball team and we were in playoffs and it was not, um, it, it could have been handled a lot better. And, um, wow. so, so I dropped out and then I'm kind of back home trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I went to, I found an ad in the newspaper and I went to international airline Academy. Ooh. Uh, yes. I was the top of my three month class. Thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> And, um, and this other girl that had been at the university with me, she dropped out shortly after I did. And I talked to her and I'm like, come work at the airlines with me. Let's travel the world. This is going to be amazing. Right. Yeah. Well, it would have been, except that I wasn't tall enough to be a a flight attendant on most planes because I'm kind of a shorty. And so then I ended up doing customer service and this is back before the internet because I'm old. And so this is back when people called and made reservations over the phone. Yeah. And I worked for United Airlines in this, um, in downtown Seattle. And me and this girl had our first apartment that, you know, we, we basically garage sailed everything and then painted it all very shabby chic, you know? Um, I think we made curtains out of bed sheets, you know, we did whatever we could to make it look cool on a dime. And, uh, so we were working at this airline and it was cool, you know, but, um, that we were working a night shift. So we would work from 3 PM to like midnight. Um, so then that just was, then we would just party all night, sleep in and then stop at the seven 11 on the way to work, get a fresh pack of cigarettes and a Slurpee, go to work. And it was like groundhog's day. It was like over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and just lots of partying. And, and, and at this point, drugs were a very regular part of my of my schedule and ecstasy had entered the scene, which Ooh. was new for me at that time. And, um, really liked that a lot. And, um, and then her and I, eventually there was a guy in our apartment building that worked for AT&T back when they had pagers. Did you have a pager? No, I wanted a pager. So, so bad. bad. Yeah. Like the little tiny the silver cool. one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but I wasn't allowed. And then like cell phones came out. Right. So this was pre cell phones, but um, pagers. And then also they they had what they called alphanumeric messaging, which was text messaging. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you bought a pager, you know, at your local radio shack and you called activate it, I was the girl you talked to. That was the job that we got because it made so much more money than the airlines. The airlines was cool, except we couldn't ever, we could fly for free, but then we didn't have any money once we got there. So it was like not that cool. Um, So we went over and started working for this um, pager company and which ironically the treatment center, I ended up going to like, 15, 16 years later, um, was like next door to where this building was. It was like a very full circle thing. It was so bizarre. Um, but so it was when I was working there that, um, I got pregnant with my son who is now 24 and I had already had, um, a handful of abortions and, um, didn't want to do that anymore. I I really didn't like how that made me feel, um, the guilt and the shame of all of that. Um, and I think I still carry part of that. Um, maybe I probably always will. Um, so I just, I, I, and I, I didn't necessarily want to be with his dad, but I just, I thought maybe if I had this baby, that God was wanting me, like it would somehow save me, save my life. And mm-hmm. I guess it did, um, but not, not in the way I thought it was going to. And so um, for my pregnancy, I was, I was still working at the, the pager place. <clears throat> 
And I, I, as soon as I decided I was keeping the baby, I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped everything. Yeah. I think I, I turned 21 when I was like six months pregnant and I had like one wine cooler, I think, cause the doctor had said a little wine was okay. okay. And, um, I was just completely shit faced off of one wine cooler and yeah, yeah. then felt terrible about that. Um, and um, my son, I ended up on complete bed rest because I had toxemia, which is like dangerous to the mother, not so dangerous to the baby. So I was on bed rest from about six and a half months on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he came early. Um, I um, had gone to the doctor's office that day and uh, they were like, okay, between now and the next four weeks, you can get out of bed like for 20 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and we'll just keep tracking your progress. So my friend came and picked me up and we went to Subway and we went to Blockbuster Video or Hollywood Video. We, I don't, we rented, we rented a movie yeah. and um, that's how you had to do it back then and came home and we had just gotten it started and my water broke and I, it was the most bizarre feeling um, because I was a girl when I got drunk, like peeing my pants was not abnormal right but when your water breaks it's a totally different it is not the same thing um and I was just like oh my god what's happening this is too soon so um ended up going to the hospital and I never um I never dilated or anything and uh so they they ended up having to do an emergency c-section 24 hours later um and um and then I went home with a baby and I started drinking and that was a really bad idea Wow. It was a really bad idea. And, um, I scared myself a couple times. Um, and then things with his dad, I mean, we were young, you know, we were, I was 21, he was 20. Um, we, it was not a healthy relationship at all. And, um, when my son was probably about two months, I was just like, this isn't, I, we have to go, this isn't working. And so I called my parents, um, and it was like the, the call they had been praying for, you know, and they showed up with a U-Haul like the next morning. They were like, like, I don't know if they had one at the ready or what yeah. the deal was, but they were like, let's get her out. They just had a uh, reservation just standing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went home and like for a year-ish, year and a half-ish, I didn't work. I just got to play with my baby and scrapbook and workout to MTV workout videos. And um, what was the other one? There was another workout video I really loved. It was a model. I don't remember. But um, and I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. I just I just played with Jacob and read books. And I think I even took a college class on like early child development. Oh, wow. Um, like, I just was like, okay, I'm a mom now, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, after a, a, a period of time, my parents were like, yes, you are a mom, but you also need to provide for your child. So yeah. you need to like get back out there, sis, you know? Yeah. So um, I had a couple of different jobs. I, you know, I, when I was in high school, I worked at this truck stop burger bar. So I had been filling in there. Then I got a job as a bank teller. And then I got a job at the small, like radio, CB radio, pager, cell phone activation place. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, this gal came in that I had gone to high school with. She would come in every week to get our ad for the newspaper, the local Mm -hmm. newspaper. And she was like, Hey, Elise, I'm, um, I'm moving up. I'm going to go work for the Everett Herald, which was a city north of Seattle newspaper. And she's like, you should apply for my job at the, at the newspaper. And as a salesperson, I was like, I don't even read the newspaper. Why would I do that? <laughs> like, uh, ew. Um, and she was ill like, and she was like, well, you can sell. And I, I guarantee it's making more money than you're making here. I'm like, Oh, yeah. well, we, I mean, you just had to say that. Why didn't you yeah. lead with that? You know, yeah, I don't yeah. know anymore. Bury the lead there, honey. <laughs> yeah. So I applied and, um, I still remember my outfit that I wore to the interview. Like I'm still friends with the, with the guy that, that hired me and gave me my first job in advertising. Like I remember everything about it. And um, I just took to it like a fish to water. I just, it was, it was my jam. Like I was good yeah. at it. And um, so that kicked off about a decade of, um, you know, salespeople, like they can drink and it's the yeah. lifestyle, you know, and, and deals happen over drinks. And yeah, they do. I was an outside salesperson. So I had this whole thing where I could like get up, take my kid to daycare or school, and then 
go to work, check in, make it look like I was doing all the things and then go home and sleep off the hangover that I had and then get up in the afternoon, go back to work, make it look like I was doing all the things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was doing the PTA. Now my son was in the Christian school that I had gone to. Okay. I was doing the PTA mom stuff. Right. And like doing that whole track. But then I was also like, at the dive bars, like sleeping with every guy in town that I wanted to sleep with. Right. So, you know, it was like trying to keep the two worlds apart. Right. And that, and then there was lots of, lots of dark times, lots of bad things that kind of happened during that decade. But I always like, I always got it. I always figured my way out of it. Mm -hmm. Most of the time my parents helped me, you know, usually it was like, I got myself in financial trouble they would swoop in and help me. Yeah. We moved in and out of their house a couple times. Um, and then one day I woke up, um, I, I was 30 and I, I, I had gone to Vegas with nine of my best friends for my 30th birthday. That was a hot mess express. Whoa. Um, that was really bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was not, there was nothing good happening at that on that trip. Um, <laughs> But it was like after that, and I woke up and I was like, I can't be here anymore. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't be here anymore. I'm starting to burn bridges. My worlds are colliding. Like, I don't like my reputation at the bars anymore. I'm, you know, like, it's just, it's getting, yuck. it's just getting unmanageable. And yeah. um, so I was like, I'm just going to move back to Seattle. That's where my son's dad is and his stepmom. He can be close to his dad. Um, and at, by then he had a brother, um, half brother. And so like, I was like this little, and he had been going there every other weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, this makes sense. And so I was like, well, I work for a newspaper here, so I'm just going to go work for a newspaper there. And so I got online and the Seattle times was hiring. And 30 days later I was working at the Seattle. I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023 say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. Battle times. It was like, Whoa. once I make up my mind to do something, yeah. it just, it just, it, ha- it I, I will go until it aligns. Yeah. I just go. Yeah, and yeah. so um, that's where my drinking really uh, at home alone really took off Yeah, because now I wasn't like the club party girl, you know? Um, I mean, I was still on the weekends when I didn't have my son, um, but the drinking home alone really kind of really. And then it, it just happened so fast, Jessica. It's like mm-hmm. something, something changed and I knew it had changed. And I could tell like, really, once I started, there really wasn't any control of stopping unless I blacked out, passed out or ran out. Like there just wasn't. Wow. Um, and, um, but I was carpooling with a gal um, for work. If we carpooled together, I got free parking and I like free things. And uh, she was sober. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and 12 step and, uh, I would just bemoan all my problems to her the 45 minutes each way we spent carpooling yeah. and she'd be like, yeah, I know all about that. If you ever want to do something different, you just let me know. I can, I can tell you and show you what I did. Yeah. But she never, she never said I needed to. She never forced anything on me. She was just like, whenever you're ready, because until you're ready, it doesn't really matter what I think or anybody else thinks, you know? Exactly. And I mean, it was just the truth, right? Yeah. Just the truth. And, um, and so finally that Saturday morning came, I'd been up all night, you know, I think cocaine was involved and I just was hating myself, just mm. so much hate of myself. It was not, it was just, it was predominantly self-hate at that point. I was, I was well past blaming other people and just really just, it just, why can't I get anything right? You know? And even though at the time my career was still clipping right along, clipping right along because I'm, I'm good at that whole smoke and mirrors jazz hands game. I'm very good at it. And, um, but I just was emotionally like completely broken. And this wasn't like, there had been a lot of other bottoms that you would think 
oh, that happened. That really should have made you stop drinking. And right. it didn't, it didn't, this was a non, this was not a big deal weekend. I just, right. I was the most broken I'd ever been. Yeah. Um, so I called this woman and she took me to my first meeting and I hated it. I hated it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com A-S-G-G today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash A-S-G-G. So much. Mm. I even remember what I was wearing. It was this like blue terry cloth, juicy couture. Oh, yeah. Job suit, you know. But yeah. I, of course, I was missing a few sparkles. You know, it was rough. You know, it was rough. But I look like a Crayola color crayon. That's the, I mean, I did not blend in. Um, <laughs> and all I saw were differences. I didn't see any similarities in anything. So I was like, yeah. this is not for me. Yeah. Um, so then I started going to a bunch of different therapists. I went to a couple different treatment centers and finally ended up one right next to the place where I worked at pagers. I was like, isn't this full circle? Whoa. And, um, and did the intake there and they were recommending inpatient. I was like, I can't do that. I'm a mom. I have a a career. I have a kid. Like I can't do that. Yeah. What else you got? You got a pill, (laughs) you know, like you gotta be something else. Yeah. And so I just went round and round with them. And so finally I agreed to do outpatient once summer break started. So my, my son would go and stay with my parents. I would work during the day and and do that at night. Um, And so I just threw myself into that. And that's, um, I just, I just threw myself into it. I did everything everyone told me to do because I was so desperate. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be like that anymore. Um, So I, you know, I started going to 12 step meetings. I got a sponsor. I did the outpatient. I did therapy, anything somebody told me to do. I did it. I was just like, I'm out of ideas. So I'll just do this. Um, And then like, and then I kind of found my people in, in the room in church basements and, um, and, you know, I learned the buzzwords and people would clap for me and I knew how to like, Mm. you know, I, I just, I was like, Ooh, this could be my jam. You know, like I, you know, if I, I, I'm a good public speaker and, um, and I'm good on the fly. And so it like, it just became my jam that I was just like doing all this stuff. And, you know, I started like doing speakers meetings and like just, doing the whole circuit and just, you know, I had a book cover on my book, which meant I was really serious about my program, you know, and I had the jewelry and oh gosh, yeah, so silly. Um, but I wasn't really, <laughs> I wasn't really doing any of the work. I was just pretending yeah. I was doing the work. So, um, looks good on the outside. Yeah. It looked good on paper. Yeah. Um, yeah. and my career was doing really well, you know, so everything looked on paper, looked yeah. like it was thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I hit about four, somewhere between four and five years sober. Mm-hmm. And I got hit with a depression, unlike anything I've ever encountered in my life. And maybe it's because it happened. I think it had happened before, but mm-hmm. I'd never had been sober for it. And so this was like, I didn't want to drink. I just didn't want to live. Wow. You know? Um, And that was a really scary place to be because Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do with that. You know, there's no, there's no amount of meetings I can go to. That's going to fix that. There's not, I didn't know what to do with that. And I had been on a sales call, um, you know, in Seattle, ferries, we've got ferries to go lots of places. Mm-hmm. And I had ferried over to one of the islands to meet with a casino, I think. And I was coming back and, 
And I just could not stop crying. I kept telling people I had allergies and I had just missed the ferry. So I was very first in line for the next ferry. And as I'm sitting there, I hear this voice in my head. Like, you know, when you pull on, you could just keep going. You can just thumb and Louise it right off the front of the ferry. And that'll be it. And I thought I was going to do it. And I like, I could not believe that I was having that thought. And then, actually not sure if I was going to be able to stop myself from doing it. It was very scary. Um, But I called someone, right. And she stayed on the phone with me the entire time. Um, And as soon as I got off the ferry, I drove straight to an ER. And, um, and then as I was in the ER at this point, I was, I had, I was full blown into my workaholism at work. And at this point I had left the, the, the newspaper and I was running Seattle's biggest magazine. Okay. And I had moved up from being an account executive, a salesperson to being the publisher. Oh, wow. And um, I had excelled very quickly. Um, and, um, and I was working 80, 90 hours a week. Um, plus being the single mom, you know, I was burning, sure. I was burning it at all ends. And, you know, I had a couple of, of sponsees, like I was, I was burning it in all the ends. Yeah. And, um, And I showed up in this ER and, um, you know, they put me in a room and I'm still just doing work email as if nothing's wrong because I got to keep that going, you know? And, um, and (laughs) this, this, uh, caseworker comes in and he was like, are you the fairy girl? And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) pardon me, excuse me. Do you know who I am? You know, like, um, I was so thrown off by that. I mean, you know, he sees a lot of people every day. And um, didn't have a lot of compassion for my story. And I was like, well, I don't know what you mean by fairy girl, but I was on a ferry and had a scary moment happen. So I guess that's me. And he was just like, you know, well, are you going to harm yourself? Do you want to go someplace? And it was just like, so it was very cold and very off-putting. And, um, and and he goes, and we, he, I hear that you're a liar because you told us you've never been here before, but you have been here before, which apparently at some point I had gone to that ER before and not remembered it. Right. Um, and so it just was you're like a liar. It was, yeah. Oh so God. I'm a liar. I want to drive off a ferry. Like nothing's looking good for me. So yeah. I was like, you know what? I, um, I think I'm fine. And I think I just want to go home. I think I'm going to call my primary care physician in the morning. I think, um, I think we're okay here. I think, I think I'm fine. Yeah. And they let me go. And, um, and so I did, I called my primary care physician and, and then got a referral and, um, and I ended up getting on, on medication to help with the depression. And I was, you know, there was, I, I, it's not that anyone ever told me there was a stigma around that. I just like, I didn't want to be dependent on pills, which is hilarious because I've been dependent on alcohol and pills like life, but, um, but for fun reasons, but for fun reasons, because I, because it made me feel good. Like yeah, I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what this said about me. I didn't um, like, what does this mean? Do I have a mental illness? Like, I just, I didn't know what it meant. And, um, yes. and, um, but that it actually really made a difference. You know, it really, it really helped. And, um, and over, over the years, like sometimes a medication would not, it would stop working in the way that it had been. And we'd have to make some tweaks, Mm -hmm. um, to what I take. Um, and sometimes, and I don't know why I've done this, but I just stopped taking my pills completely. I just very normal. You know, I just, I just put them in a drawer and, and it's silly because like, I have all kinds of like cute little pill boxes, you know, yeah. like this one even says uh, medicated and motivated. Like, you know, I, I try to make it look cute, but it's, it doesn't feel cute. And, um, yeah, but I self-sabotage quite a bit. Um, yeah, but around, um, 10 years sober, I was, um, I, my son had just graduated high school, um, And, um, we had moved from the suburbs into the city now that he wasn't in high school anymore. And I, I thought I was having like panic attacks. I didn't know what was going on. And I had just had to, um, fire one of my best friends from the magazine. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I didn't want to do that, but I didn't, I was not given a choice. And, um, it just, it broke my heart and, and moving and my son graduating. I just thought I was having panic attacks or anxiety. I didn't know. I just knew I was like, something didn't feel good. When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. 
I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off in my chest and um and um so it was I had just moved and um I was home alone my mom had been there helping me unpack but she had left and I woke up on a Sunday morning and I got out of bed and I just started like sweating profusely throwing up I was so hot I was dizzy I didn't know what was going on um but I knew I had to call 911. Like I knew that whatever, cause I was alone, there was nobody there. Yeah. Uh, and I was afraid I was going to like fall over and like crack my head open on the tile or something. And um, sure. so I called 911. I'm like having a hard time breathing. And so, and I lived on a small Island at that point, Mercer Island and um, which did not require ferries. And um, so I could hear <laughs> the fire department was like two blocks away. You know, it's not like they were far. So I can hear them coming and all of a sudden I'm like so concerned. Well, how are they going to get in the building? It's a secure building. I know I'll crawl out to the balcony and throw my keys over the edge. Okay. Firefighters don't need your help getting in buildings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like I have to project manage everything, you know? So I'm throwing my keys over the side. I almost hit one of the firefighters in the head. Like it was all very dramatic. Um, and they get in there. And by the time they got in there, like whatever it was had passed but they were like, you know, we've got the ER coming uh, or the ambulance coming to take you to the ER. And I was like, do I have to go? I don't, I don't want to go. Yeah. Um, Cause all I was thinking about was the bill. Like, I don't want to pay that bill, you know? Yeah. And they're like, not so cool dude. When you went there before, like, right. And they not so cool before. And yeah. uh, they're like, well, lady, you know, you called us um, and you're mm-hmm. here alone. So I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to have somebody come over. I'm going to have somebody come over and I think I'll be fine. So they left and I called my dad crying and, and he was like, honey, I think you're just stressed. Why don't you go get a massage? And I was like, that's a great idea. So I called a friend. I'm like, we're going for massages, my treat, you know? Yeah. And um, so a couple of days later, I went and met with a cardiologist and told him all the things that had happened. And they took all, you know, they did all these tests and they were like, I don't, I'm not sure, but let's schedule you for a stress test and that heart echo. Um, which took a couple of weeks to get scheduled because of insurance. Mm-hmm. And so during this period of time, he'd given me a, um, a prescription for nitroglycerin. And he's like, if you have one of these episodes and you feel like you can't breathe, put one under your tongue. If it doesn't work in a couple of minutes, put another one under your tongue and call 911. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's pretty simple instructions. Yeah. So um, between the time that I gave me the prescription and the time that I went in for the stress test, I had taken 16 of these pills um one time I was even at work and it happened at my desk and I screamed for the gal in the office next to me to come over I had lost complete use of my arms and I told her to put a pill under my tongue she did and then it was fine and I went right back to work as if I mean I just was not I was just not checked in with my body Jessica just not checked in at all like I was so wrapped up in all these other things that are more important, you know? And um, so the night before my stress test, I had figured out that if I pressed right here on this um, left side of my body, right, you know, right in the heart area, if I press there, I could trigger one of the things to happen. 
So I was like, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push on this tomorrow in front of a doctor and then they're going to figure out what's wrong with me. And then it's all going to be fine. Right. And so I get on the stress test and uh, they hook me up to all the things and I've told them everything. And so I'm on this treadmill and they're explaining, you know, every, every like 30 seconds, it's going to go a little bit faster and a little bit higher. And you just keep going as many rounds as you can until you can't go anymore. I'm like, okay, cool. How many rounds do most people go? Yeah. And they were like, no, (laughs) it's not a competition. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, well, I know, but like, I don't want to be the asshole that couldn't even make it like five rounds. So like, you know, like, give me, just give me just some number. Give me a number. And they're just like, just get on the treadmill, you know, like this girl. Right. And um, so finally I'm like, fine, whatever. So I'm on the treadmill and I'm going and there's three nurses in the room and, um, and, uh, and it's hard cause they're taking your blood pressure and you're holding on and you're hooked up to all these things. It's not an, it's, it's not an easy test to take. Yeah. Um, but so when nobody's kind of looking or they're looking at other things, I just start jabbing at my side, just jabbing and walking and jabbing. And so then pretty soon they're like huddling around this machine and asking me questions. And I'm like, I'm fine. And they're like on a scale of one to 10, I'm like, ah, it's barely a one. Like, this is nothing, you know? And they're like huddled around this machine and they're just like looking at me and looking at the machine. And then, and then I can tell that, that one of these episodes is coming. Um, and, um, and then all of a sudden it's like very like Grey's Anatomy. They're like, get her off, get her off, call the doctor. Like everybody just like freaks out. And, and then, and, and then I start to have a full one of these episodes, which I later find out is an angina, which okay. is a very unfortunate word, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's basically, it's basically like a precursor to a heart attack. Um, Holy shit. It's basically, yeah. It's basically like the rump, like, yeah, before a heart attack, you can have an angina. That's what that is. Yeah. Um, and an angina can turn into a heart attack. And so that's what I was having. So they were like, my doctor comes in and he was just like, what are you doing here? And I was, and, and I said, well, I'm ta- I took the stress test. I don't think I passed. And he's like, I thought we decided you didn't need to keep this appointment if you didn't have any more episodes. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I had more episodes. So I kept the appointment. He was like, well, then how come you, did you use the medication? And I was like, yeah, it works great. Yeah. And he was just like, how many times did you use it? And I was like, all of a sudden I was like, oh no. And he goes, even if you used it just one time, Elise, you should have called us. And somehow like missed that memo. Like, yeah, I didn't hear that. Yeah. You know, I might be running a a huge company, but like didn't get that memo. And, um, and so immediately I'm like, lie. Right. I'm like four times, just four. Yeah. And he was like four. And I'm like 16. 16 times, 16. Ah. And he, that's, I mean, if doctors could say the F word, I yeah. think he wanted to, like, he was just like, what? Um, and he was so cool. Such a cool doctor. Um, we were um, basically the same age. Like I just really gelled with this guy. Yeah. Um, so he comes back and he was like, okay, we're going to take you to the cath lab and run some more tests. And I don't know what a cath lab is. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, like how long is that going to take? Cause like, I have appointments this afternoon for work. I just need to know if I need to rearrange my schedule. Yeah. And he was like, Elise, Dude, do you wanna- you're not leaving the hospital today. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and so the cath lab is actually heart surgery. <laughs> Didn't know that. And um, oh my God. So I, so I was like, I need to make a phone call. And he was like, you can make a phone call if it's to like a family member, but I've been told by the nurses, you're in here working on your phone and I'm not, you can't do that anymore or I'll take your phone away. I mean, that's how bad it was. Yeah. And um, so I called and at the time my son was home and super sick. We didn't know what was wrong with him. He had dropped weight really fast and he's six foot four and um, he had, he was down to like 120 pounds. So I wasn't going to call him and and freak him out. So I called a friend at work and I was like, okay, get this person to bring me a phone charger. Bring me this, bring me this, bring me this, get this person to go over and sit with Jacob because Comcast is coming and I really need to get my Wi-Fi. and then call my parents and calmly tell them what's coming up. I'm project managing the whole thing, you know, like all these things need to happen. Yeah. And, um, And then I realized like, I'm about to be, and then they're like, roll me into this room and they're starting to prep me for things. And I realized I'm about to be rolled into heart surgery and uh, there's nobody here with me. I'm all alone. Mm. Um, 
because I can't ask for help. You know, like I just really struggled with that. And, um, but then, but then they got, somehow they got, something got delayed. And then, so then my parents and my son and two really close friends were all able to show up um, before. And I don't know if that was better or worse because I, I didn't know if I like, am I saying goodbye forever? I don't know. I don't know what's going on anymore, you know? Um, and I just remember being like, and then I, I, I was so looking forward to the drugs. I had lots of questions about the drugs. Like, this is like a freebie, right? Yeah. yeah. Freebie. This is like, this is going to be fun, you know? So fucked up. And, um, I remember being rolled into the operating room and I was so high and I was making jokes. They couldn't believe I was still awake. Um, but my tolerance is pretty high yeah. and, um, I was making jokes and, um, and just jabbering on like any person who's very high. And, um, and then pretty soon I could tell that the surgeons were getting something, something was serious. And so I, I felt it like, I was like, Oh, I need to, I need yeah. to ixnay on the jokes. Eh? Yeah. And, um, and got really quiet. And it turned out that my left artery, um, which is commonly known as the widow maker, um, mm. was because most people, when they have blockage in that artery, it normally just takes you out. You don't normally have a chance. Um, mine was 95% blocked. So how I hadn't died was oh. like nobody, a miracle. nobody knew, you know? Yeah. Um, Jesus. and so, um, so they were going to put a stent in. And so that's what they did. And, um, and then I went home and my son was still very sick. And so then a day after I, you know, I was home the next day. That was also a real trip to have heart surgery and then be home like within 24 hours. Yeah. It was so bizarre. Um, and then he, we had to take him to an emergency MRI and um, he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Mm. And then a day after that, our dog went to the emergency vet. I mean, it was just like the worst week ever. Jesus. It was so bad. Mm. Um, so I took some time off work and, um, and, and I it was made really clear to me, like when you go back to work, you cannot work more than 40 hours a week and you have to go to cardiac um, therapy every, every, you know, a couple times a week. And like, there's all these things that have to happen. Yeah. And my first day back, I worked 12 hours oh. and I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know how to do that job any other way. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and then, and then I, about a month after that, I tripped and fell after yoga at a gas machine, uh, a gas station. Um, and the back of my head hit one of those poles next to the tank gas tank. And I got a concussion with some short-term memory loss. And that put me down for another week or two. Um, and then, and then my son had to have a major surgery to take out, um, parts of his intestine and parts of his colon. And we were in the hospital for a week and I was working the entire time from the hospital. Um, and then we got home and a day, two days after we got home, our dog, um, our four-year-old dog died. He, um, he'd eaten one of those squeakers out of a dog toy and it, it went the wrong way. And, um, the dog dying was my last that was it. That was, I, I could, I somehow I was managing, I was not managing, but I was like getting through everything else. Yeah. That was it. And so, um, I cashed in all my vacation time, which I had tons of, and, um, took like six weeks off and just hung out with my son. And we went to the beach for a week and just tried to think about what's, what's, what's going on here. Like, this is not, this is not good behavior. This is very addicty behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I couldn't go back to that job. If I went back to that job, it was probably going to kill me because I had no way of not overdoing it. I was obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, and it just in the exact same way that I was obsessed with alcohol or drugs, it had just fully transformed over into workaholism. Yeah. And people, I don't know if people realize how real that is, but it's oh, like yeah. so incredibly real. And, yeah. um, but it's also like society's like work harder, hustle, you know, exactly. all these, like work, work, work. You have to work if you want to be successful or right. whatever successful yeah. means to you. And I'm like, what well, I, I, you know, but I didn't, I didn't go back to that job and I just didn't, I didn't go back. And, um, and I took a year off and just, we just kind of focused on ourselves and, 
slept in and long walks and got another dog. And then that dog was kind of neurotic. So then we had to get a dog for the dog, which is now the two dogs that I have and I love them, but they are a little much. And, um, and it's, you know, it, it was, it, it, and, and I don't know, it just, I think going through a, a near death pers- uh, experience and then also seeing my child be so ill, yeah. it really puts a lot of things in perspective yeah. of, of what's important and how do I really want to spend my time? Cause we just get, we just get this one life, you know, as far as I know, really? I don't know if we get more, but I just yeah. know about this one. So, um, um, yeah, so I, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I thought, well, you know, my son's graduated, maybe, Maybe now I want to go work for a magazine in New York or LA. You know, I could, I've never done that. Mm-hmm. I could do that now. Um, but then I realized I would have to leave the Pacific Northwest and I just, mm-hmm. I love it here. It's beautiful. This is home to me. And, um, and w- with what I do, so much of it is, is about uh, your network and like the idea of going, even though I have contacts all over the country now, um, like re-networking and getting to know a, a new city, like, oh, Mm. I just didn't want to do that either. Um, yeah, so I was yeah. like, well, you're staying here. So you better figure out what you're going to do. And um, so I ended up at um, the local, uh, one of the local TV stations mm. um, working on lifestyle content. So still working on similar kinds of things that I was in a magazine. It's just all video related. Cool. And um, it's super cool. I've been there for almost five years and I love it. And they've been really incredible to work for. They really insist on a work-life balance. Um <laughs> And, and, um, I, you know, I've put up all the right bumpers that nobody lets me get too far out of line there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was two years ago in 2018, maybe three years ago now, um, I was diagnosed with stage one melanoma skin cancer. Mm-hmm. And that was really, that was scary. Um, I had this mole on my ankle, um, oh, wow. and, I wanted it removed for cosmetic reasons. Yeah. It was like throwing off my tattoo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually at the appointment for Botox, right? Like I wasn't there oh, for I- the skin check. And, yeah. um, and I was like, Hugh, can we remove that? It's kind of throwing off the tattoo. Like that came after the tattoo. It's just not working for me. She's yeah. like, oh, sure. You know, whatever. And then like two weeks later, I get this call. You have cancer. We're referring you to a surgeon. And I was like, what? Um, So I had this huge chunk taken out of my ankle. Huge. Like I refer to it now as my shark bite. Um, I mean, I guess I'm never going to be a leg model. I mean, I never was going to be a leg model, but definitely not now. (laughs) And that's off the table. Off the table. Um, But that was, woof, that one was a doozy too, because I could, the pain was incredible and I had to be on pain pills and my son was administering them to me. Um, And the funny thing about pain medicine, if you follow the directions, Mm. it works like it's supposed to. Amazing. (laughs) I had no idea. So why did you start the sober curator? Um. Yeah. So last summer in uh, 2020, you know, we're all stuck at home in the pandemic. Yeah. And um, I'd always knew I wanted to do something around my recovery. I've always been very public with my recovery in, in my real life, yeah. but I, I had never been public with my recovery online. Okay. I don't know. I just felt, I don't know. Um, I had a lot of people telling me one thing about anonymity. I, I, I had a lot of, I knew people, there's a stigma around it. I didn't want to be people to judge me. I liked being in control of who I told. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but then, um, I ended up in another woman's addiction memoir. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh, did not like how I was portrayed oh. and, um, but when I, and I got a little fired up about it. And, but then when I looked at my part, I re- I just realized I was jealous and that I, I had been all these years thinking I was going to write that book or, you know, be that motivational speaker or do something. And I, I just never did it because I was so busy doing everything else. Right. So it was like, well, God gave the world time. We all have time now. So yeah. you got a lot of time. And because, you know, because I'm high risk with my heart and having cancer and my son with Crohn's, we've taken the pandemic very serious. Like we have not gone anywhere. Um, I haven't even had a pedicure in over a year. I mean, it's, it's rough things over here, Jessica. Yeah. Um, 
but so, yeah, so I, I realized that I, and I had wanted, I had been talking with a friend that I worked with who was also sober um, for about a year. I had looked for a lifestyle sober magazine mm -hmm. and there are some sober magazines out there and I'm not yeah. knocking them. They're just very clinical. Yeah. And that's, um, that's just not my jam. I'm a, my lifestyle is my jam. Pop culture is my jam. So I wanted a place that I could go that would tell me all the movie reviews, all the podcast reviews, the book reviews, where I could find merchandise. Like I wanted something like that, like a Yelp for sober people. I don't know, yeah. but like something like a resource, but resource guy doesn't sound sexy. No. So I just decided, well, let's, I'm just going to do it. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I don't know. I'm just going to try, you know, yeah. try. So I, I took a week off work and I packed up my laptop and my dogs and went down to my parents' house because they still live in my childhood home. And, um, and I just like, I figured out how to build a website and figured out how to do graphics and all these things I never did when I was at the magazine because other people did them. Um, yeah. I just got started mapping kind of everything out and I was like, okay, so we're not going to be able to do this just me and this other gal because we're not to feed the content beast. You need multiple multiple things coming in. Yeah. Um, and I was like, just new on Instagram on sober Instagram. Um, yeah. I've been on Instagram forever, but I'd never done anything in the recovery vertical. Um, so I'm like trying to get a lay of the land and seeing, you know, what I like and what I don't like. And, um, and really clear that I didn't want to promote how to get sober. I just wanted to be, um, I wanted it to be, to, to be a helpful resource for people that are choosing a sober lifestyle and they just want access to this kind of content and yeah. want to know where to find it. Cause I just, I like Googling is like a sport for me. I love looking, digging. Like I just love digging for information. I just love it. Yeah. And I remember finding you and I was like, yes, there's gotta be more of hers out there. This is great. I gotta get a sweatshirt. I gotta get a sticker. Like I was <laughs> totally into it. And, um, and then I accidentally launched the website before we were ready because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, but it was like, well, I don't really know how to take it down. So, I mean, it, yeah. if nobody knows it's there. It doesn't really matter, you know? So we just started feeding the beast and just doing, and then just started attracting some people who were like, well, I want to join what you're doing. Can I, can I do this? And, um, and so it started off small, just myself and this, uh, my friend from Texas. Mm -hmm. And then I, we added my sister, um, who is not sober, but she is a licensed therapist that specializes in drug and alcohol addiction. Awesome. And when we started, she was at a treatment center, but she's since then gone into private practice and is doing great, but cool. she writes the daily llama. And, um, and the short one word meditations, uh, Monday through Friday. And then one of my friend's daughter who lives down in the Yucca Valley, Joshua tree area, she's an astrologist and she's five, five years sober. Cool. And so she, uh, she does astrology once a month with a sober twist. Um, so we started to get some of kind of like, we knew what would be the anchors to the site that would, you know, hopefully things people would want to come back for. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of kept growing. And um, now there's tw 20 of us, I think, Whoa. contributing content. Yeah. That's and not, incredible. Yeah. And two, two in Canada and two in Australia. So I like Amazing. to be like, oh my gosh, we're international. Yeah. Um, and some people, I mean, people contribute. I, I don't really have any rules because let's be honest, if we had rules, we just break them anyway. But um, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, tell me what you want to contribute. Tell me when it's going to be ready so I yeah. can like plan around it and plan the graphics. It's like your show. I'm just providing a platform for you to share. It's it's really for people that want to write um, and have their work published, but don't want to maybe build their own site and do all of that. Yeah. Uh, and people that like digging into information. Like I have one gal, she only wants to do book reviews, right? That's mm. great. You know, yeah. I have another gal that only does mocktails. That's amazing. You know, yeah. um, so that's just kind of been chipping away and um, I don't know where it's going, um, but it's, I think people like it. It's growing. Uh, the, the traffic numbers show that people like it. And, um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm in a weird place with it because I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to make money on this, but I don't, it would be nice if it would like paid for itself because it's, yeah. you know, you know, there's an investment that happens on oh, the back yeah. end with all the things. And, yeah. and, uh, and I don't want to take treatment center money. I'm really clear on that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want, um, I'm not trying to market sobriety because there's so many people already doing that so well. Mm -hmm. I really just want to provide content. 
That's all. I just want to be a funnel for really great content. Um, and so that's, that's what it is right now. Where can people find the Sober Curator? Sober Curator is really easy. The Sober Curator.com. Okay. Um, and there's lots Instagram. of different um, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, we're in all the places. There's right. lots of different verticals of information. Okay. Um, and if there's something that you, you don't find and you want it on there, like, just let us know. Um, we have an email newsletter. We are on Clubhouse. We do weekly rooms on Wednesdays. Um, and, you know, as things start to open back up, um, we'll just see what happens as far as doing things in person. Mm -hmm. um, just had a lot of fun with the gals at Seek Purpose. I know you were involved in Just for 24. Yeah. Um, that was really great. And um, I just love, I love the recovery community. And I love the new recovery community that I have found online. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did not expect to make so many new cool friends in the last year. I didn't go into it thinking that was going to happen. Yeah. And that's been probably my favorite part. So oh, it's just, me, you know, like, cause like, it's like now, like when I see your post, I'm like, Oh, what's Jessica doing today? You know, like, <laughs> and they're just like, I just, um, there is a community there and it's yeah. just amazing how they rise up and support each other. And that's, I mean, recovery, regardless of what, whatever way you get sober, the backbone of recovery is community. I, yes. I, that's what I, you cannot get sober on your own. Um, and so I, although I think there's 50 shades of gray of how to get sober these days, Yep. I think that is the one thing that's a non-negotiable. You have to have a community of like-minded people that support you. Um, okay. That doesn't mean they have to be your only friends. You know, I have lots of friends that drink, um, mm -hmm. but and I don't, I don't hate drinking. It just doesn't work for me, you know? Yeah. yeah exactly. So, yeah. So it's been I love fun. that. Yeah. Elise, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your wisdom and sharing your story and being so open with us. Like this has been awesome thank you so much oh thank you this has been so fun I listen to your podcast when I walk my dog so <laughs> I couldn't believe I was asked to be on it I was like I've arrived how sweet is Elise oh I just love her and I love her story how what an incredible incredible woman so inspiring as always, thank you so much for listening. We couldn't do this without you. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and give us feedback about the podcast. We love to hear your comments. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Sober Girls Guide and the blog. Head on over to asobergirlsguide.com. We have you lock, stocked, and loaded. We have the brand new Sober Girl private groups. Find Sober Girls in your hometown today. Head over to asobergirlsguide.com for merch, workbooks, challenges, you name it. We got it. We have blog posts with how-tos, tips, and tricks for any stage of your recovery journey. We got you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.